Peace be with you. In my experience, the hardest time to be a foreign missionary starts about one week after arriving in one's new country. For many missionaries, it's about one week after arrival that a long, arduous journey begins. This journey is known as language study. It may sound trivial, but it's true. Missionaries arrive with big dreams and excitement for what they will do in their new country. The churches and individuals here that have sent them are eager to hear all about their new place. And the organization there that is receiving them is excited to receive all that they have come to offer. But in those first few weeks or months or years, the new missionary has to focus on the simple and basic task of learning language. This means repeated embarrassment, trying to remember the difference between numbers like 50 and 15. It means desperately trying to remember whether to yell awas, which means beware, or sawa, which means rice field. In the event the missionary sees a motorcycle about to crash into a rice field. <laughs> Language study also means weeks, months, and years of trying to find exciting ways to tell supporting individuals and churches about how interesting it is to sit in a classroom for six hours a day being tutored, only to go home and study for another two to four hours. It is a long trudge, and in this long trudge, dreams can fade. One can forget the anticipation they brought with them to this new place. It's boring. It makes you feel stupid, and it doesn't make for good stories. It does not feel like a difference is being made. It is decidedly not the purpose for which the missionary was called. However, it is necessary. Without all that time spent in language study, all of the interesting work about which the missionary will later write home would not be possible. Visits to remote places with no motor vehicles and the cleanest water you can imagine would not happen. Long conversations that lead to relationships with the capacity for mutual transformation would not happen. Naaman knew what he wanted and needed. He needed healing. He was desperate. After all, he was acting on the word of an immigrant slave girl. After a long series of conversations with the king and others, he gets a letter from the king. He collects more money than I can imagine to pay for an expensive treatment for his ailment. And then he doesn't even get to see the doctor. Elisha sends out an assistant, a messenger. This messenger tells Naaman to do something ridiculous. It's important to note that the act which is prescribed to Naaman is only ridiculous because of the context that Naaman has built up around his ailment. His expectations are that his problem is so great 
that it can only be solved by some difficult and or expensive task. Had the servant instructed Naaman to climb Mount Everest backwards and at the summit to eat a bowl full of sliced and pickled gizzards, Naaman would have responded, is that all? He then would have dispatched servants and chefs to find the gizzards, to slice them and pickle them and package them perfectly for his journey. He would have bought donkeys and camels and elephants, traveled to the base of Mount Everest where he would have hired the 12 best Sherpas in all of Nepal and instructed them to climb the mountain backwards with him. But that is not the message that Naaman receives. His message is cheap, it's simple, it's easy. Go bathe in that river over there, the one that's kind of muddy. And Naaman protests. The task does not measure up to the problem as he has defined it. A few thousand years later, not so much has changed. We find problems that we identify as big or significant, or both then we look for solutions that are at least equal in their elaborateness to how we have framed the problem. And any solution that does not balance out the problem as we have built it becomes problematic and insufficient. Here in Mississippi, 42 out of 82 counties have been listed, uh, as, have been listed among counties plagued by persistent rural poverty by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This designation means that at least 20% of the county's population have lived in poverty at every census since 1980. That's nearly 40 years. There are 301 such counties in the United States, which means that roughly 15% of the counties that are listed as persistently rural and impoverished are here in Mississippi. It also means that more than half of the counties in Mississippi are considered persistently poor. Mississippi, our home, is regularly regarded as the poorest state in the United States. This is a big problem. It must require a big solution. This is, of course, complicated when we start to talk about education, race, food insecurity, health care, incarceration, or a host of other issues. If we talk about it long enough, it will get too big to be able to do anything about it. It's too big. It's too deep. It's too complicated. I suspect, though, if we were to walk downstairs to the children's department, and asked them what we should do about this problem. And they told us to go and ask Elisha, the prophet of God. And we did it. We might hear back some news that would seem dismissive to us. We would, of course, want to hear a fully formed and detailed multi-year strategy for how we're going to turn our state around. Those kinds of approaches are important. We need people who think about coordinated efforts to combat poverty that incorporate the voices and ideas of those whom the enacted programs will serve. We need education professionals and funds pumped into our education system if we want to see improvement. 
We need creative and macro-level integrated solutions to complex and complicated problems. But that's not what we would hear from an assistant to the prophet of God. No, I fear the directive would be much more simple, much more doable, things that anyone in this room would be able to do. We would not be tasked with solving the problems that we are, sorry. I anticipate the message would be that when we see someone who we suspect is in need, that we would go and be with them. It would not be our job to solve the problems that we have assigned to them without asking them, but to sit with them to share a table with them, to learn their names and their stories, and to share with them our names and our stories. Learning someone's name, learning to know their story, the good parts and the hard parts, takes time and effort, and it won't rapidly bring about the kind of systemic change that has trapped generations of Mississippians in poverty. Building relationships that have the capacity for mutual transformation takes time, weeks, months, years. This kind of relationship takes effort. It takes showing up repeatedly. It requires learning to know a person and a culture without assuming that everything is the same for each person and each family. This kind of relationship requires withholding judgment. It requires showing up repeatedly. It requires showing up repeatedly. Because trust has to be built. While relationships can sprout up and flourish quickly between strangers, more often than not, they take time and effort. They take showing up repeatedly when things are good, when things are less than optimal, they require vulnerability, honesty, and patience. And in this act of showing up repeated, repeatedly, something wholly mysterious and predictable happens. Over the course of weeks, months, and years, the lives of those in these new relationships begin to be woven together when threads are woven together, each thread lends itself to create something new and beautiful. When red threads and blue threads are woven together, they create shades of purple. When yellow threads and blue threads are woven together, they create new hues of green. And when black threads and white threads are woven together, they create beautiful silver. But that's not the only thing that happens when threads are woven together. The threads also become fabric. They move together. They are affected by each other and they are connected to more than just each individual thread. They become connected to all of the threads that the other thread is connected to. What pushes and pulls on a single thread causes all of the other connected threads to feel the pushing and pulling to be moved. 
Learning to know someone's name and story is not always exciting. But it is in this simple, close, and accessible act, an act that requires time and attention, much more than effort and dollars. In this simple, close, and accessible act, we will find somewhere in the midst of this relationship the beginning of healing to the biggest ailments we can imagine.